0: Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. Uh, we are having another uh, session of our Notes from the Quad, talking to some folks in higher education this week. Uh, let me introduce you to our our guests, uh, Trey Bailey and Dr. Ryan Messmore of Magdalen College. How are y'all doing today?
1: Doing great. Uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. It's good to be with you.
0: Uh, if you just let the audience know kind of what y'all's roles are at uh, Magdalene?
1: Sure. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as president of Magdalen College. I've been here for just about two years and was uh, thrilled to be able to to bring uh, Trey on board as our uh, new dean of student life. Um,
2: That's right. In fact, um, there's an interesting story there, and it all started with a podcast. So all you podcast listeners lean in a little bit. Um, I actually interviewed uh, dr. Messmore before he interviewed me nice. and so if you're interested in hearing more about his story, you can find that uh, on on the YouTubes um, but anyhow yeah, I'm delighted to uh, to be here and I think that there's just a lot of a lot of uh, beautiful things going on here and just you know a lot of things that um, that hopefully you know through working together we can we can continue to enrich and just you know through, um, through leaning into the tradition, just brings some things to the students here that um, that are really their birthright, and so it's a beautiful opportunity.
1: Well, uh, we I have the privilege of uh, living on on campus oh, at, right. at Magdalen, so we oh, nice. talk about beauty and beautiful views. We're we've got two of the best in New Hampshire. Right, excellent in terms of
2: yeah, pro- probably makes it hard to call in sick to work, but. Um, <laughs> The the commute is 30 seconds, so you really can't beat that. That's right.
0: Um, Well, uh, Excited to have you guys on. Uh, You know, Magdalene's obviously been on our radar for several years and uh, just excited to have you guys on chat a little bit today. We we all have kind of a shared love of uh, uh, poetic knowledge and talking about that. Trey, uh, you've been doing some work, interviewing some folks that came out of a a pretty important program related to that. Um, um, So I'm excited to talk to you all a little bit about that. my own background is that it, it was when I first came to Cersei as a attendee long before I worked here um, and just kind of uh, that's where I first really started hearing about poetic knowledge and this idea, um, uh, as well as the the integrated humanities program at Kansas, which I'm sure we'll chat about as we go on. And then Cersei's attempts to kind of replicate a little bit of what they did um, during one of the sessions there at our national conference with the poetic knowledge panel and then a few years Back, I finally got around to reading uh, James Taylor's poetic knowledge and just kind of doing the deep dive and covering it in highlighter and pencil marks and everything else. So I'm excited. Uh, I wonder if you could each just kind of give us a little bit of your background to kind of how you were introduced to the idea. Uh, what's your, been your experience with it?
2: If you don't mind, Ryan, I'll let you go first. And and then... Um... I can kind of delve into, you know, you mentioned Dr. Taylor's book and I've, I've got it right in front of me. And I'd actually like to read just a brief segment from that to kind of uh, give us, you know, I think a really solid definition of poetic knowledge as, as he thinks about it. But um, yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, if, if you're in any way a part of, you know, this renewal of liberal arts education, you're going to come across it in some form or fashion. And so I think all of us, even whether we know it or not, have interacted with um this mode of of knowing and so um as i'll argue later it's actually very much built into us as it's just how we're created so um maybe if you just want to start with your your thoughts and then i can kind of take it from there maybe leading into a, a sort of a story of how how these things are enfleshed or embodied at magdalene
1: sure yeah thanks trey um i think i came across uh, the idea when i was in uh, graduate school uh, studying uh, thomas aquinas and kind of what struck me was you know i I think a lot of people growing up they hear the word knowledge um and they think of of just kind of a lateral straightforward um as you say way, way of knowing or mode of knowing um in our day that tends to be dominated by um the analytical, um, uh, we, we limit what what can be known primarily to the the empirical and the quantifiable, and, and there certainly is uh, a, you know a, a dimension of reality that lends itself to be known in precisely that way, and that that should be celebrated, and we should study that, and we should teach uh, math and science and 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 the subjects that tend to to, to know reality in that way. But Aquinas you know, pointed out that their uh, reality is much richer and deeper th- than just what can be known uh, empirically. Uh, th- there are realities that uh, that can be known in other ways, and 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 God has created us to know in other ways than just the the strictly analytical. Um, he's created us to know poetically, uh, which means He's given us other capacities uh, than just uh, analytical knowing. He's given us intuition. He's given us the imagination. He's given us appetites and desires. Uh, He's given us an aesthetic sense, a a sense of beauty. Um, And there are realities that lend themselves to be known through those uh, modes um, as well. And, and so at, at Magdalene College, you know, our, our mission is is to call uh, students in their, their entire person. That means in their entire multiple ways of knowing a reality that is that lends itself to be known in multiple ways. <laughs> uh, a, a multivaried way of knowing a, a, a very rich, uh, multifaceted universe. Um, and, and so to ignore those aspects uh, to to ignore the fact that comprehend truth through the intuition uh, through the intuition uh, th- through through these other modes is is to ultimately with an education that that was that that was what first kind of got me excited about looking into this idea further uh, because I wanted uh, I, I wanted a full robust uh, education and and I knew that I. Uh, I would have to take this seriously in order to get it. What about you, Trey?
2: Well, I think Dr. Massmore pretty much covered it, so I should have probably just taken a 15-minute smoke break or something and let him run this interview because, uh, I mean, he captured it right there. Um, I think uh, if if I remember correctly, my first encounter with this this notion of poetic knowledge probably came in something I was reading um, by Dr. Uh, John senior and so I've, I've gone on to read seniors work, as well as the work of his colleagues, um, Dr Dennis Quinn and the, the few sort of things you can find um, where Franklin Nellick was involved there's there's actually a good number of things where he was um, sort of the, the advisor uh, to a, a variety of different um, works of scholarship that his students put together, um, but those three professors were. Um, really at the heart of a renewal of poetic knowledge, especially in the halls of of higher education. And their story is something that I'd be happy to delve into with you at some point. And, and I to affirm what you were saying earlier, Brandon, I have spoken to, you know, probably, I don't know, um, maybe 15 or 20 now alumni of the Integrated Humanities Program. And what's amazing is that they still live their lives with this this love of reality that is rooted in in this this way of knowing the world <laughs> and so it's it's amazing that the college students went through a program and then received certain things both through what they were reading and through uh, the practices and the traditions that they were initiated into there and then went on to obviously go different places and do different things with their lives but they still have this thing in common and this this love of of life and, and reality itself that's rooted in, in poetic knowledge.
0: I'm glad you you brought that program up. Um, that's probably how most of our audience is familiar with it. If they're familiar with it at all is through the work of John senior and then, or from, from, uh, James Daniels, who was one of the students, uh, in that program and went on to write, uh, poetic knowledge. Yeah. And really that program was started from my understanding to kind of fix an issue they had where students were coming in without, um, having received much poetic knowledge in the, in the, their K through 12 education, uh, whether that be firsthand experience of, of kind of more physical, tactile things in life, or even a good wealth of, of, uh, imaginative story growing up. And so, mm. uh, they really kind of developed this program to kind of model that for the students a little bit, um, and help them, uh, kind of bring them up to speed. Um, but the, the, I'd like to touch on the interviews you've been doing You know, I've I've had a chance to hear uh, one of those already. And you and I've had several conversations about that work and, you know, we don't have to get into each individual story. That's what those, that's what your recordings are for, but what, what do you kind of see uh, the impact kind of across the board and in, in the lives of those students who had that kind of uh, education provided for them through that program and how they've Things it's you, know, you talk to people in lots of different walks of life, It's so kind of see how mm-hmm. it's impacted them kind of going out from there.
2: No, it's true. I mean, I, I've spoken with people who are leading, you know, very public lives. I mean, uh, I've yet to speak to the, the bishop and the archbishop, but um, they're on my list. And and I have many people sort of lining up to, to make that introduction and, and say, you know, you need to speak to these men because... You know, uh, in a very public way, they're living these things out and and serving the church in the in the way that they do. But I've also spoken with um, apple farmer, uh, an apple farmer. I've spoken with a a lady and her husband who own a a winery and a vineyard. Um, Spoken to a lawyer. I've spoken to um, you know people who work in a variety of different um, business um, operations and trades. And you know, as as you say, they uh, they all came into this program, um, admittedly with, with a lack um, that stemmed from the education that they, or the lack of education that they, um, that they were offered really from the nursery on up. And that is, that is sort of the genius of, of Dr. Senior Quinn and Nellick, that they understood that there was something that had to happen sort of as a prerequisite, so to speak, before you could invite a college freshman to read Homer or Dante or any of the the great books, right? Because you have to keep in mind they were, sort of working in a time in which there was a renewed interest in, in the, the great books. And I think in their wisdom, they knew that they needed to return students to this, this poetic mode of, of knowing both through poetry itself, but also through just coming to uh, be reintroduced to reality through all of their senses. And so that, that came about in a variety of ways um, that included um traditional fairs, uh, events um, sort of that would prepare students for a culminating uh, waltz at the end of the year. and interestingly, a lot of these things I see here at Magdalen and they're just they're just lesser known because we're kind of tucked away up here in New Hampshire and and I just want more people to know that this type of education is available and I think families would be excited to know that this isn't something that just happened sort of you know for this one moment in time you got these three great professors together anybody, can can do this and that's sort of the the genius of it again um they understood it was a matter of going back to the basics and john senior famously sort of thought of himself as just a schoolmaster was sort of a trumped up title professor oftentimes he referred himself as a custodian who just sort of holds the door open for students right to a room that he hasn't even fully entered into i mean i just love uh some of the ways he thinks about his role as an educator but um to answer your question about sort of the, the way it's impacted lives, um, you know, some of these stories that I've heard are from people who are living very hidden, sort of quiet lives. They're just raising their families. They're, they're going to work and just just being, you know, upstanding moral people in the world. And they're doing that um, in this very humble way. I'm thinking of the apple farmer, for example, who I, I, I think he has a much larger operation, but he started with an orchard that he rented and a couple of college buddies. They had no idea how to grow apples. They just knew they needed to get back to something simpler, a closer connection with food. And so he started there and he's just committed his life to it through the ups and downs. And you know, the things that this apple farmer is reading in his leisure time are things that um, you know most people would think are reserved for the halls of some Oxford Don or something, but mm-hmm, they're not, mm-hmm. they're for everybody. And that's sort of the beauty of, of classical education um, Especially as we've come to understand it through a variety of different thinkers and educators that really this this life of liberty and something that was at one point just sort of preserved for, you know, the um, sort of the, the higher class, like the aristocrats, is really something that we're all invited into because we're human beings. So I could say more, but uh, I, I, I don't, I don't want to start preaching at this point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh yeah, that's really good. Uh, I'm so glad you've d- done those interviews to hear some people because you're talking about people that are, you know, a couple of decades out now of that program. And you can really kind of see the impact on an on adult life. And, you know, th- this has been a topic of conversation. It's been a popular one bubbling up in the classical education circles for several years now. Um, but still, one it's a little bit of a struggle sometimes to people figure out how, what does this look like, you know, in, in a classical school setting? What does this look like in my homeschool uh, co-op? I wonder if either you could speak to ways you're seeing it done well or ideas for doing Like, how do you kind of incorporate this type of thing into that into that education when we're talking about Socratic dialogue mm-hmm. and, you know, it, the, you know right. that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, so maybe by means of introduction, um, I'm just going to tee up uh, Dr. Messmore to be able to just knock that out of the park in terms of talking about how we do that here and, and, and have sort of a lot of hopes and visions for the future of Magdalene uh, to, to lean, you know, even even more into that, um, uh, that, that invitation. But probably it would be helpful if, if we really clarified what we were talking about. Yeah, when we thank, you. This phrase, thank you. Thank you. Knowledge. And so, in order to do that, I'm just going to turn directly to someone you've referenced a couple of times, uh, Dr. James S. Taylor. And Dr. Taylor was a student of the IHP program. And uh, interestingly, his son, um, at the time of this recording, his son, Adam Taylor, um, is coming to visit Magdalene um, tomorrow. And he is currently the assistant headmaster for um, a uh, private boys' school in. they're in Kansas, where are they? Fort Scott, Kansas, called St. Martin's. And so if anyone wants to see something um, along the lines of how all of this is lived out at the high school level, you know, I, I would highly encourage them to look at that program. Um, but the hope is that you know, through this, uh, some of it's just a, a social visitation. Uh, he's someone who's become a friend, but uh, there's also the hope that the students will then be invited into taking that to the next level if they're college bound, To come to a place like Magellan and to just continue um, climbing that mountain, so to speak, that they started uh, in their high school. And ideally, as we speak to more families, this is something, as Dr. Senior hoped for, would be brought all the way back into the nursery with Mother Goose and uh, Beatrix Potter and and all the rest. But James Taylor, um, I'm just going to read to you a few lines here from his book, Poetic Knowledge, The Recovery of Education. He says, first of all, poetic knowledge is not necessarily a knowledge of poetry, but rather a poetic, a sensory, emotional experience of reality. And he goes on to talk about how the, the ancient Greeks considered education to be um, you know, something that um, it was learning through imitation, which is something that I know Circe talks a lot about. And he's gonna pick that up in a later chapter. But what he wants to say here is that, quote, what must be at the beginning of this understanding is the phenomenon of poetic experience. Poetic experience indicates an encounter with reality that is non-analytical, something that is perceived as beautiful, awful, or you know, full of all, spontaneous, mysterious. It is true that poetic experience has that same surprise of metaphor found in poetry but also found in common experience. When the mind through the senses and emotions sees in delight, or even in terror, the significance of what is really there. So I think we've we've used the word reality a few times over the course of our conversation. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. A reintroduction to reality. We're living in a time in which we are being asked to enter into all sorts of virtual realities or even anti-realities. And that's being played out on every stage And really what we're talking about here is uh, a mode of knowing reality through all of the senses, right? And Dr. Messmore touched on how so much of that has been sort of pigeonholed in this analytical mode. And yet what we're looking for is, you know, what are those things that that cause delight? Interestingly, what are those things that cause terror? You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? That sort of that all that fills you when you have a great respect for something that's so much bigger than you are, that you can't even begin to comprehend it. You try to understand it, but you can only properly do that by standing under it. And so all this, all these things are wrapped up in this, um, what I would call an invitation to, uh, to education through all of your senses. And the way that plays out is in some really beautiful ways that as it turns out, you know, as it says on the can, you know, they are delightful. Uh, they are, um, things that we enjoy because we're made to enjoy them.
1: Now, when you were uh, talking, Trey, about um, the the real life implications of people who' have gone through this sort of uh, program, especially of, of the kind of like the integrated humanities program um, at the University of Kansas, what what struck me was was that these these are people who kind of go through life being fascinated by things that most people, Mm. aren't fascinated by or or just take for granted. Um, They kind of walk into a room or or into a new situation and they expect to find deeper meaning there. And lo and behold, they are able to (laughs) to find it. Um, Whereas most people would just kind of, drive by drive under a bridge on a highway they would say wow that's that's a beautiful bridge that's a different bridge that was created with more care and attention uh, than uh, the most in, and most people oh I didn't even I didn't even notice uh, but people who have who have acquired the skill and the training and, and poetic knowledge kind of have a different radar for for deeper meaning and for order and for beauty Um that, uh, that the average person just kind of skims through life, uh, perhaps not being aware of. Um, so that, that, mm-hmm.
2: um,
1: yeah. yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And then the question is, how do you cultivate that? How, how do you, how do right. you train that in a student? Um, I, I think one of the concrete ways to train that is, is through music education. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, certainly through, an education in in poetry but as you say it's not just a knowledge of poetry but it, but it comes through the study of poetry it comes through the study of of literature and it comes through participation in music um m- music as as plato <laughs> was, was want to point out uh is laden with order it's laden with inner harmonies and to become attuned that uh, literally to, to those harmonies and to that order then, kind of wires the student to be able to not only detect that order in a, other aspects of reality, but to enjoy it, um, and, and and that's that's where poetic knowledge really um, is, you know, is exciting because it, it doesn't just help us to know about reality; it helps us to enjoy it, to delight in it, to be fascinated by it, uh, to be struck. In awe and wonder mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the way that you begin to open up a child's imagination and, and radar for that, I, I, I think is is through music
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And if you don't mind, Brandon, I'd, I'd like to just um, continue talking about the ways in which these things are embodied at Magellan. so, you know, I've come to learn that, that music is a real distinctive of this school in so much as the students are invited to, to sing in a, in a choir, and then we have a, a polyphony choir that has been called upon to, to travel up and down uh, the, the, the New England area here and, and sing mass and, and, and sing in a variety of different settings. Um, and I mean, you know, it's, it's just such a beautiful thing to, to take part in, but also to bear witness of. So it's a gift to the students, and it's also a gift to the people who are who are listening to them sing. And so that, of course, is, is rooted itself in, in, a, in a sort of twofold way. One is human beings are created to sing, right? I think it's Marcus Aurelius. I don't, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to pull in the Stoics now. Um, you know, he, he, he has this reminder to himself in meditations of, you know, like, get up. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Get up, get to work. The birds are already outside singing, you know, something to that effect. And so... Yeah, I mean, if you don't start your day in song or at least, you know, um, have the desire to, 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 to sing, um, in, some, to, in some degree, you are, you are not living a life fully alive. I, I think that's just how, how we're created. And so that is also rooted in um, the fact that we are a, uh, a Catholic college that has at the center, both quite literally, Geographically and um, in every other sense of the word, uh, the mass at, at the heart of at the heart of uh, this the school, and so um, I don't know if you're you're familiar with uh, Simone Weil's essay, which has a somewhat un, unwieldy title: uh, "Reflections on the Right Use of School Studies with a View to the Love <laughs> of God." You've heard it, I know. The title well, at least, right? <laughs> I tell you, you know, um, she had a way with words, but maybe the editor threw this title on. But uh, it's a a remarkable essay for a number of different reasons. And I wish I could just read the whole thing to you. But for the sake of time, I just want to point out that she really centers on four different things in terms of helping us sort of return to a a rightly ordered way of thinking about education. And those Mm -hmm. things are prayer, attention, humility, and sanctity. And they kind of build on each other in an interesting way, but those those middle ones, sort of in that sandwich, are, are things that I think everyone would sort of recognize. You know, it doesn't matter sort of what setting you work in in terms of education, you would say, yes, we want students who are who are you know who attend. You know, when I take attendance, it's not just to see if you're here; it's to see that That's are right. you ready to attend, right? Uh, so the 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 skill of attention, and then humility is something that when we don't have it, you know, we we see the 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 bad fruit that that pride um, you know can produce and so what she wants to emphasize is that really at the end of the day school studies are um, a way of developing a habit of attention that bears its its fullest fruit in prayer and all of this um, leads to a a growth in your humility which at the end of the day um, helps you become a saint and so as a Catholic institution I mean that's that's really at the end of the day, you know, wh- whatever you go on to do with your life, um, our prayer is that you become a saint. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure uh, President Mesmore could say more about that. But I bring it up because I think this essay in particular helps us reorient ourselves to what, what we're even doing here, you know, as a school. Um, and we certainly are a school, right? We're not a parish. We're not a country club. We're a school. But those the school has to be rooted in reality. And reality um is actually a created order so so having um the mass at the center um sort of puts us in another way back in tune with with just you know what what really is
0: yeah i'm glad y'all both brought up the uh the music um aspect of things when it comes to poetic knowledge um i'm not sure if you ever heard um professor Carroll at any of our conferences but she's her background's all music she taught it music at smu for years and she is fond of saying all the time that that children sing before they can talk like the their first thing is mama everything's tone you know it's they're singing in the language that's right that they are being taught um and so it's the most natural thing for children and you just leave them alone they're singing Mm -hmm. they're singing what they're doing which is not that interesting, but they're singing oh. it anyway. They're singing it anyway. Um,
2: You're exactly right. Hey, can I tell a quick, quick little story about Professor Carol, Carol Reynolds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, all right. So here, here, this this will be a, a good segue, and I promise you, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll start out of the room. I'll, I'll turn the mic over and and let uh, Dr. Messmore just really drive home how we live these things out. It's not just something we sit around, you know, in our you know, tweed jackets and ties and talk about, yes, we, yeah. we actually live these things out. Okay. So Carol Reynolds, I'm so glad you mentioned her. Um, last fall, I, it dawned on me that, um, I wanted my kids to go apple picking. Like, you know, I, I was just sick and tired of going through the drive through and the kids ordering pre-peeled packaged, you know, apples. And I was like, you kids need to know what it feels like to pull an apple off of a branch, right? That 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 tug and that resistance that you only get when you do that thing, right? That's a real yeah. thing. And so we went apple picking. Well, it turns out that uh, there were a lot of apples to be picked. And if you have apples, then you might as well make apple butter. But if you're going to make <laughs> apple butter, then you might as well do it in a big copper pot over a fire outside. And If you're going to do that, you might as well invite some friends. And if you're going to have friends, you might as well have, you know, lunch. And if you're going to have lunch, you might as well have music. So one thing led to another, and 80 people showed up in my backyard, <laughs> an apple butter festival. And I just went ahead and invited Carol Reynolds to come and 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 speak to us about, about music. We invited a cellist, and we invited a bluegrass band. And so during the festival itself, there was bluegrass music filling the hills of Southwest Virginia, where I lived at the time. And then that evening, we transitioned inside, where my wife had just this beautiful spread of it's like called a charcuterie board or something. I don't know. It was delicious. And uh, we had the cellist who played for us. And then Dr. Reynolds, she, you know, talked about exactly what you're saying. You know, how music is something that um, really is our birthright from the earliest, from our earliest days. And it's something that stays with us to the end. I mean, how many stories have you heard about um, senior citizens, you know, listening to music and it just takes them back, right? It, it right. sort of restores their, their memory in a, in a beautiful way. And so, um, my desire is to, um, continue to support and bring in very festive, very, um, traditional folksy, even, uh, ways of being in the world to a place like Magdalene. I've been learning that already there's swing dances, the students get together, they have bonfires. I mean, they're uh-huh. always, they're always sort of in fellowship together.
0: We go apple picking. Oh, there's apple <laughs> picking.
2: Great. So, I mean, the, the ingredients are already there, but, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just good, clean fun. It's really just, I think we are so well inoculated against the idea of if it feels good, do it, that we've forgotten that some things that feel good, you should do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like making apple butter with your friends while you listen to bluegrass music, you know, Yeah. something like that. The things that felt
0: good when you were a child, right? Yeah, she, she. Uh, I love, her. she makes everybody sing. Um, right. Like if you go to one of her sessions, she's probably going to make you the whole, the room, the room sing, whether you want to or not. And That's uh true. Oh my, I won't, uh, I won't uh, name names, um, but I was at a conference several years ago where it had been a lot of, there had been a lot of dry discussion about the main topic of the conference. Um, so, particular field of education or a particular area of education. And, um, oh man, I could just see teachers and there was eyes glazed over. They were done. Like it was just too much data and not enough life. And um, and she was on this panel and she got, I was like, she's about to talk. I was like, oh, thank God she's going to make them all sing. They don't know it, but she's going to make them all sing. And sure enough, That's she got great. up there and she made the room start. And people were like, I don't know about this. And then, but like everybody was in such a better mood when she was done. Her like 15 minutes of making everybody sing or whatever. And, um, you know, it's just, it's in us. And it's, uh, and it's not like this is new. It's not like John Sr. Mm-hmm. and those guys came up with this. Um, the the ancients were talking about emulating. when we talk about Socratic dialogue and mimetic instruction. And they started their schooling with, gymnasia and musica right and when they said music they meant exactly what these guys mean when they see when they say poetry it's all of it it's the singing and the stories and the it's the narratives it's it's imaginative uh culture <laughs> stories and music mm-hmm. and then gymnasia physically getting out there and running around and throwing javelins for them and and that's what we're talking about with mm-hmm. with this poetic knowledge and you know uh uh, uh Taylor gets into that in the book right like people who couldn't do math and then they work on a farm and that like, they feel weight they feel measure they, they they have to actually do it right and so number yeah, sub- right. number becomes concrete instead of abstract and um suddenly math makes sense to them right because there's it's connected to something in the world and so um it's uh, this is this is what educators always knew yet they didn't start formal education until seven, eight years old in the, among the Greeks and Romans, not, not four. They were having at four. You're, you're still banging around with playing and singing. So. That's true. Uh, so, so much to that. Well,
2: um, I'm actually pretty new to the team here. So I want to hear more yeah. about ways in which all of this is, is played out uh, on the campus here at Magdalene.
0: Yeah. Y'all mentioned the singing. I'd like to hear more about the kind of the program there in general. So. Yeah.
2: we,
1: I think we're pretty unique among um, four year liberal arts colleges uh, that we require all of our students to take a core course in music uh, all every semester for all four years. So every student is uh, is taking music uh, every year of, of being at Magdalen, and that that causes our choir to be basically the student body. Now we have smaller, you know, more select choirs, a polyphony choir, some chant scholas, things like that, but uh, but everybody has a chance not only to learn to sing music, but also to uh, to sing that music in the context of the mass, um, and 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 to tie it with our study of theology, to tie it with our study of Latin, uh, to use their bodies uh, while they're doing it—they're not sitting in a class; they're standing in the choir loft. Of our chapel, and they're contributing uh, to something very meaningful um, and, and very powerful. And a lot of times, w- where this really the rubber hits the road on this is uh, during Easter week, during Holy Week. Uh, our students, again, I, th- I think this is pretty unique among colleges that I'm aware of, but our students stay on campus uh, for Holy Week so that they can provide the sacred music for the Tridium. And throughout most of the year. Uh, especially the freshmen, are kind of wondering, what am I doing in choir? I I didn't take choir growing up. I I can't carry a note. uh, Why do I have to do this? Um, And then they get to the end of the Easter vigil, and they've been preparing for hours and hours to sing uh, the Alleluia Chorus in Handel's Messiah. And they do that at that pinnacle moment of that most holy mass of the most holy uh you know time of the year and then they're like that's why (laughs) this is what it all means this is why uh we were asked to do this and boy we can't wait until next year and and, until we get to do it again and then they they turn around and initiate the incoming freshman the next year and and into that practice Uh, so there's something about um There's something about participating in that sort of musical experience that is formative for our students. And and it's wholly integrated with the other things that they are reading and studying and thinking and doing uh, here at at a liberal arts college. Um, One of the courses that I teach um, is an elective on the theology of C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. You'll remember the the creation scene of Narnia, um, told in in uh, the Magician's Nephew. S- some some uh, humans from our world have have a chance to experience the creation of Narnia, and what they experience is Aslan singing uh, creation into being. Um, now, every reader of of the Chronicles of Narnia, or, or most readers, will be familiar with uh, the, the Christian uh, version. Of creation, but Lewis has the the creator of Narnia sing it uh, into creation. That that every reality, every rock, every animal, every tree, every every body of water in this new world is uh, is a production of a harm, a harm a harmony or a melody that is sung, um, and that that's a claim about reality. That the reality is the sort of thing that has in its bones so to speak this sort of rhythmic order uh it it, it's got number it's got pattern it it, it's got um a sensibility it's got an orderliness to it um that is beautiful that that when you begin to explore it and participate in it it brings delight and and that is um why we, we invest so much time and effort Uh, into music within our curriculum. Uh, It's not just an elective. It's not just for those who think that they're musical. It's for everybody wanting to study the liberal arts, everybody who wants to comprehend truth.
2: Well, um, as we sort of uh, likely move towards the close of our conversation, I would just say that, you know, if I were an incoming student, you know, I would, I would sort of be excited at the idea that, you know, you can kind of come in and sort of rough in, so to speak, you know, you don't have to, you know, be some sort of, you know, all-star um, academic musician. I mean, we certainly have standards in terms of, you know, wanting to uh, help people step into, you know, the, the next level of their education. But, you know, by all means, I mean, um, just put your hand to it and, and and expect that there's going to be professors and staff here that, that uh, care about, um, uh, you know, you being able to receive whatever it is that God wants to give you at this point in your life. And odds are you're going to pick up, you know, it's so funny You want to hear, uh, I talk to a lot of homeschool families and they say, oh, you know, I don't know if my, if my son should go to this, this liberal arts uh, program because, you know, in our homeschool program, we've already read Homer and we've already read Dante. And I'm like, no one has read Homer. Like you were only reading Homer you are reading, you know what I'm saying? Like you haven't, it's not a thing like, I'd be like, oh, I've read the Bible. You know, it's obviously, you know, it's not a one-to-one, but the point is, is these are things that professors here are still reading. And there's probably a professor here who's read the Nicomachean Ethics 25 times. And I guarantee you he or she is eager to read it again and to do that with a whole new fresh batch of students. And so the the last thing that I want to sort of um, contribute Um, We've mentioned a couple of words and phrases. We've talked about poetic knowledge. Um, We've talked about reality. And the last thing I'd like to mention is is this word integration. And I think at the heart of um, uh, what what we're trying to do as a school is to pull in all of these good things we've talked about and and do it all in one place You know, in a a very intentional way that um, makes for a, a true culture, because that requires cultivation. And that requires um, an integration of the whole. And we live in an age in which education is, quite frankly, like the sort of Humpty Dumpty affair and like no one knows how to put it all together. And there's all sorts of people who have come up with all sorts of very um, sort of Frankensteinian sort of monsters and calling it a school or calling it education. And it, it just doesn't rhyme with reality. So my invitation would be for people to, to consider a place like Magdalene as a place that You know, we're actually trying to um, really work hard to restore um, the right order of things through uh, working together um, and bringing people into the task of, you know, um, just getting back to a saner, um, more loving, more rightly oriented way of living in the world. And, you know, that's a pretty exciting invitation, I would think.
1: Just one or one or two other things about our curriculum uh, that attempt to do what what Trey just described, ex- especially uh, the, the integration piece. Um, we're, we offer um, a course on iconography, um, and Trey mentioned prayer and, and, and the attention that 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 prayer directs us uh, to. Uh, Iconography has has been described as prayer and paint, um, and and the discipline it takes to immerse yourself in in that tradition, uh, to learn from it, um, and, uh, you know, to be able to imitate the greats who who have done it before um, is, goes with the grain of of, of the sort of poetic knowledge that that we're talking about, and the sort of education in it that we're talking about. But rather than just having those sorts of classes like iconography or art or music as as separate classes, we also want to integrate the arts into the other things, uh, the other modes of learning uh, that that we're pursuing. Um, And that's where our our core humanities course comes in, which which is another pretty unique um, aspect of our curriculum. This is um, kind of a four or five credit course. This is a big course. And and it was modeled partly on um, John Senior's program at at University of Kansas, partly on um, St. John's and and some other uh, best practices uh, uh, over the years. Um, We try to bring together the study of theology, history, philosophy, literature, and, and try to shine a light on how those uh, subjects inform each other, but also how th- those various arts uh, factor into the conversation as well. What does the music of a particular time period, what does the painting, uh, what, what do the religious icons of, of of a particular time period help to inform how people experienced reality in the ancient world, in the medieval times, in, mo- in modern times? um, times. Um, so all of, we, we offer a humanities course where we read the great books, but we, we read them in that sort of integrative mode where we're asking these questions. We're having professors from different disciplines speak to the same text, uh, bringing their, their, their different points of emphasis and insight, uh, to bear. Um, so that, that's where I, you know, it, it, it gets really exciting that you don't just go from a theology class out the door, down the hall, and into a philosophy class, out the door, down the hall to your, your music rehearsal. All of those are, are kind of brought together in, in, in answering the big questions. What does it mean to be human? What is reality? How do we know it? How do we relate to it? How do we delight in it? Um, and so, I, you know, I I, I would echo uh, Trey's emphasis on the integration uh, that that you can't have an appreciation of, for poetic knowledge and do it right if if, you, if you're not paying attention to integration.
0: Well, that, I think um, that's really helpful. You know, like a lot of our audience uh, is is teachers or homeschool parents of classical students. Um, so part of the reason we like to have these these conversations with folks at the higher ed, ed level is uh, one to hear what they're seeing, what they're, what they're experiencing from students. Um, but also because we often get asked, you know, what for the parent who does want to have their kid go on to a liberal arts education or does want to have them just go on to, to higher education. They're a little concerned about some of the other places they might send them. What are some options out there? Um, so I think that's, that helps give us a really good feel of, of what Magdalene college's, uh, culture and, and, uh, uh, what it feels like to be there on campus. Um, I did want to give you just a chance also to to talk a little, maybe specifically nuts and bolts, kind of what uh, what does the degree plan look like? Uh, you know, we have varying things, right? We've talked to folks who it's a specific honors program, or there's one degree track with the college, and others where there's not. So parents are always kind of looking at different options when it comes to that kind of stuff too. So what does that look like for the students at, at Magdalen?
1: Yeah. Our our students come in uh, as freshmen and sophomores, and they take uh, this sort of integrated core uh, program of studies that that we've just described. And then when they uh, get to their junior year, we do um, offer them the opportunity to take a particular interest that begins to develop or to take a particular question that begins to develop and to be able to dive deep into that. Um, over the next two years. So they're junior and senior years. So we do offer majors. We don't offer majors in subjects that we think our students are going to go on and get a career and make money from. Um, we offer uh, majors in areas of the liberal arts that we feel students will develop a passion in and that will, will want to dive deeper. So we offer majors in literature, history, philosophy, and theology. Right. Um, and we find that if you, um, you know, if right at the same time that you're beginning to to discern uh, the, these particular interests, these particular questions that begin to be formed uh, in a college student's mind, uh, we're also introducing them to long term projects uh, in their junior year. They do um, a, a kind of a, a study of a particular um questioner, author, um, and, and then in their senior year, they, they have a senior thesis where, where they get to choose um, a, a subject of study within the curriculum and dive much further into it. They study it for a year independently guided by uh, a, a tutor. And then at the end of the year, they, they present their work uh, to the entire student body and they field live questions from faculty as well as uh, from from students. So th- this is uh, this is the sort of opportunity to while, while you're still within a four year liberal arts college, you're not you're not specializing yet in grad school, but you are being able to pull some threads uh, that mm-hmm. have uh, that have been presented uh, perhaps for the first time and uh, and to dive a little bit deeper and to see if those might be the seeds of um, a a question or a field that you could then give the rest of your life to uh, graduate school and beyond in a a career
2: Mm -hmm. i should just emphasize that we do all of that um, while at the same time uh, inviting the students to have dinner at the president's house with his family on a regular basis um, now that I'm here, you know, my kids as well as the Messmore's kids and other professors' kids are going to be running around and, uh, you know, giving the the students an opportunity to just sort of um, love on them, uh, but also hopefully be sort of knocked off kilter enough to realize that life isn't all about them. You know, that sometimes college can be an opportunity for a lot of navel-gazing, and so it's good to see little kids running around. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, hopes to you know, find ways to also put the students in conversation with older people, both here in the community of Warner and abroad, and, and to really just help them understand that this isn't something that you just do here at Magellan, this is something that you do here, and then you go off, and you you find out, you know, what your community needs, and then you respond to that need with this really solid grounding in reality, right? And you hey, you know, you want to go off and become a, a scientist? Great, please go do it. You want to go off and become a mechanical engineer? Yes, do it. And you can do that and spare yourself sort of the, um, the road that Dr. Frankenstein went down, where he was an all-star scientist, man on campus, beloved by his professors and peers alike, but had no moral compass whatsoever. I mean, you know, uh, Jurassic Park is another uh, retelling of that story. Um, but I can say with confidence that if you come through a program like Magellan if you wanted to go on um, and, and pursue a, a specialized uh, career in, in any of the sciences, you would do that with exactly the kind of sort of moral foundation and, and a liberal arts foundation that that we would hope that our doctors and our, right. our, our you know, scientists and our, our lawyers would have, politicians, you name it. We're seeing what happens when they don't. So, we're trying to get ahead of that. It would be yeah. great if our doctors and politicians uh, were well
1: versed in, in the study of the, the question of what it means to be Get rid of it. Right. I I
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Having been, I uh, spent a lot of time with doctors in the last year um, with my wife. Uh, there are definitely some that could, could have used a lot more humanities courses <laughs> and others who <laughs>
2: okay.
0: did okay. So, yeah. Well, Thank you guys uh, so much for joining me. This has been a great conversation. Uh, hopefully we'll have some more and see you guys around uh, some conferences in the future too. Um, and uh, if anybody's looking for where to find out more about the college, what's the best, what's the website for them to visit?
1: Yeah, the website is simply magdalene.edu okay. uh, named after uh, Mary Magdalene, magdalene.edu. Really the the best way to really find out what we've been talking about on this podcast is to attend one of our summer programs. Uh, This is a two-week, kind of everything about Magdalene squeezed into a microcosm. Uh, We hike mountains, uh, we go to the beach, we have dances, we have bonfires, but we also dive deep into intensive two-week courses that the students uh, at the end of that get college credit uh, for taking. Um, And so it it really helps them to understand what what this mode of knowing looks like uh, in the context of a like-minded community. The students are going uh, to mass daily. uh, They're singing Uh, Of course, and uh, it's a wonderful experience. So that's uh, more information can be found uh, on our website. But uh, if if this has piqued anybody's interest, uh, do consider joining us for two weeks in the summer for a summer program.
0: Yeah, I'll put links to both those in the show notes. Um, What is that uh, seniors, juniors and seniors? Who's that open to the summer program?
1: Yeah, r- rising sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Okay, excellent. Uh, and even recent graduates. We've we've had come and enjoy the program as well.
0: Okay, well, I'll make sure we get some links to that stuff in the show notes as well. Yeah. Great.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been great.
0: Yeah, it's been great talking to you guys. Thank you for joining us on Quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at Systems of Learning Doug Long Ago, Drawing from Springs Too Deep for Taint. You can send your comments and questions to podcast at searcyinstitute.org. You can also join the Quiddity Conversation on the Circe Circle at circe.circle.so. Join us next week for another episode and be sure to check out the other shows on the Circe Podcast Network.